could I have a grand, grande caramel macchiato with soy milk, extra hot, with an extra shot of espresso, decaffeinated, with a little foam, please. We love choices. Sometimes we act like we don't want to make decisions, but just walk down the aisle of cereal in the supermarket and look at all the options. You see how much we love to be able to choose between one thing and another. We make decisions every day, what time we will get up, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what chores or tasks we will get done that day. But some of our decisions are more serious, life-changing even. Is this the person that I'm supposed to marry? Am I supposed to get married at all? Should I become a priest? Should I become a sister? Am I going to remain single? Is this the right job for me? Should I stay here or should I move with the company to another state? Even if we change our mind later on, these options have eliminated other things in our life that could have impacted us very differently. Today, Joshua presents the nation of Israel with a decision, an important decision. They are within sight of the promised land. They can look over and see it there, the land of milk and honey. But in this land, the Canaanites have lived very well with their own gods, the gods of the earth, the gods of the sky, the river gods. Will the Israelites now accept these gods, these idols as their god? Or will they remain loyal to the God who brought their fathers and mothers and now them to this place of beauty? It may not seem like a difficult decision for us who see the story from outside thousands of years later. Who in the world would ever choose pagan gods when God the Almighty took you out of slavery in Egypt, brought you through the miracle of the Red Sea, fed you with manna when you asked for bread, and gave you quail when you asked for meat, and gave you water at Meribah when you were thirsty? How could they ever be tempted by false gods after they encountered the almighty and all-loving God. The ancestors, in fact, had been faced with a similar question put by Moses. He said to them, I place before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. But again, why would anyone choose anything but life? Well, if we honestly look at our own lives, we begin to understand. We who live in a modern culture of death, as St. John Paul II put it, are in no position to scoff at the Israelites or to question their choices. Many in our own day choose the way of death, and most of us suffer under the curse that comes from it. The crime that happens in our cities that makes us fearful to go there, the crime and the environment that makes us alarm our houses or our cars or lock things up is all part of the culture of death, of people choosing darkness or evil rather than goodness and generosity and light. 
As one author writes, our children inherit a world in which gross inequality, violence, poverty, abortion, capital punishment, euthanasia, irresponsible genetic research, environmental negligence, and war are all givens. The love of money and power has replaced the love and respect for life. And as every generation learns to its sorrow, there is a point where there is no turning back. Every time we talk about someone, rather than doing something good for someone, we are in reality choosing death. Every time we throw trash out the window of the car, or empty our ashtray in the parking lot, or don't even bother to recycle, we choose to be part of darkness rather than light. Every time we stay home rather than volunteer, every time we buy into the vitriol of politics, whether it be national politics or church politics, we put ourselves with the people of death. This poem written by an unknown author gives us a glimpse into how we make our choices and live our lives. This author says, I choose to live by choice, not by chance, to be motivated, not manipulated, to be useful, not used, to make changes, not excuses, to excel, not compete, I choose self-esteem and not self-pity. I choose to listen to my inner voice, not to listen to the random opinion of others. Some of our choices can be corrected. We can make excuses, and then we can side, decide instead to make a change. We can realize that we have the tendency to compete, and then we can determine simply instead to try to excel. We can often fall into self-pity and then later work on our self-esteem. We can turn our lives back around and choose goodness and life. It's not the end of the road. We are not condemned by every choice we make. But there are fundamental choices that are more permanent. We can choose to enter into the sacrament of matrimony and despite challenges and struggles, attempt to reflect Christ's love to the world in our joy, in our faithfulness, in our forgiveness of one another. Or we can simply see it as a contract and get married by a friend. We can choose to have our children baptized and teach them the faith, introduce them to the love of God and of Jesus and salvation, and the beauty of the church. Or we can do nothing and let them grow up in a void. These choices are more permanent and have more effect on our lives than we sometimes even realize. They are reflected in a poem, The Road Not Taken, by Robert Frost. He ends that poem by saying, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, 
I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Do we make a difference? Or do we, like Israel, acquiesce into our culture? Do we thoughtfully challenge assumptions and popular opinion? You know, if we as Catholics rose up in this country alone and spoke the truth about abortion, about sexual morality, about euthanasia, about immigration, about many other moral issues, the earth would actually shake. But unfortunately, the majority of our baptized Catholics now, exempting us, of course, thank God that we're here, don't even practice the faith or are unsure about teaching of the church, and so they just remain silent. When Jesus presents the very difficult sayings that we have heard over the last couple of weeks about the bread of life, about being flesh for the life of the world, many of his disciples, it says in the gospel today, return to their former way of life and no longer accompany Jesus. I think we often forget that. When Jesus talks to them about the hard things of life, he wasn't completely successful. Everybody didn't say, oh, this is the most wonderful thing we've heard. You're the most wonderful person to come along. We are laying down our life and following you. It says many of the disciples no longer followed him and went back to their former way of life. Wow. That should give us great hope. <laughs> For when people don't listen to us or hear the word of the gospel, or move on their own way and we wonder, what have we done? That should give us great hope as parents. How many parents say, I don't know what I did wrong. I tra trained the children in the faith. I brought them up in school and religious education. We went to church. I don't know what's wrong. Nothing's wrong. As we grow up and become adults, we make a choice. And we're responsible for our choice. And even in Jesus' day, many wandered away and went back to their former way of life. The gospel proclamation had taken a turn for the extreme. Jesus was saying, it's life or death. You're either with me now or you're against me. And a lot of people don't like extremes, especially in religion. You mean I have to actually meet with the priest or the deacon to get ready for my wedding? My godparents have to be practicing Catholics? I have to go to marriage preparation? We like to get around things. In the old days, people would ask, how long did you have to be at Mass for it to really count? And the church taught that if you arrived by the gospel and left after communion, you had fulfilled your obligation. What a sad, minimalistic approach to the feast of life. And yet, some people still treat Mass that way. They just want a concise set of rules to teach their children and enforce on other adults, usually not themselves, but on others, the kind that will permit them to continue the way they are and not have to change an absolute thing. Who wants religious catechism and life-changing conversion? That takes a lot of work. In the time of Jesus and in the present, many people would say, Moderation in all things, including religion. Well, Jesus doesn't do anything in moderation, including dying for us. And he presents us with a choice. 
Will we stand with him or not? We choose to be here. Thank God that our choice has led us here. But even for us, our choices for God, for good, for light, for love, for the faith, need to be renewed yearly, monthly. Sometimes we need to even renew it hourly on those bad days. It is that important. 